Hello everyone, welcome to Cinema's Soft Underbelly, your one-stop shop for all things horror, science fiction, fantasy, uh, exploitation, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm your host, Eugene Weaver. Today, I wanted to talk about a few new movies that I had a chance to watch and critique them just a bit. And um, I've been doing this show long enough that some of these movies I've actually talked about before, like on previous episodes. And this one here is one such movie, although the time that I watched this movie, uh, I watched it on DVD and it was right after I read the book. Well, I'm happy to report that I now have the Blu-ray release of this movie that I'm going to be talking about. And um, whenever I go from a DVD to a Blu-ray, there is definitely, not not all the time, but there is a shift in uh, sometimes in my critique of a movie, mainly because the quality is so much better on a Blu-ray, not just with the picture quality, but with the sound quality and sometimes the special features as well, that it can change someone's review of a score of a movie. Not, that's not always the case, but uh, especially to me, I've found that the older slasher movies and the really low-budget stuff from the, uh, from the late 70s, early 80s that may have only had a VHS or at best a really lousy VHS or DVD release, um, once they're remastered and re-released on Blu-ray, like The Mutilator is a great example, uh, the score can change because I I really like The Mutilator, but the uh, the Arrow release on Blu-ray is so good and it looks so great and the special features are so interesting that it has made that movie better for me. Uh, and this movie here that I'm going to be talking about is such a good movie in its own right that all the Blu-ray really does is make it just slightly better because, the yes, the picture quality is significantly better and the sound quality is better as well. The special features, um, and you're probably wondering, what? Get on with the, what is the movie? The special features are, I believe, an audio commentary, which I, I generally don't listen to audio commentaries. I just simply don't have enough time. The movie in question is uh, 1979's Salem's Lot. This is the Toby Hooper movie, TV movie, I might add, um, that after reading the Stephen King novel and loving it, in fact, I, um, I would put this at number three on my favorite books of all time list, right behind The Stand and It, and Salem's Lot would be number three, because this is, in every sense of the word, an epic vampire horror novel. It is... Uh, in my opinion, the book especially is is it's the perfect vampire setup and payoff. And um, I finally, after reading the book, I'm like, okay, now I've got to watch this movie. And I never was really that interested in it at first because I knew it was a TV movie. And while Toby Hooper, especially back in the 70s and 80s, was very reliable, most of what he did back then was spot-on awesome. In fact, one of my favorite movies of all time is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, and even from that point on, so many of the movies that he would do were just good. Uh, Funhouse, Life Force, Invaders from Mars wasn't quite as good, but it was still watchable. Um, he's got a lot of good movies out there. Poltergeist. 
Uh, and there's movies out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 from 1986 is just insanity. So Salem's Lot was just one that I had never – I don't know. It was like, that's ah, a TV movie. It, it can't be that good. Uh, how wrong I was. And again, I've already talked about uh, back in one of my first episodes the best TV movies. And I'm positive that this was on there. I, I, I'm not going to go all the way back and look. You can if you want. It's, it's back in the first 10 or 20, I think, of uh, my podcasts. But Salem's Lot, revisiting this on Blu-ray. Um, immediately, the first thing that I noticed, and I'm fine with this, is uh, the aspect ratio of this movie. And that is uh, 1.33, which is basically your... 4 by 3 your television screen size aspect ratio. Uh, so that is the way this movie was shot, and that's obviously the way that it's going to remain. It's not – it wasn't uh, reformatted for 16 by 9, which really all that does is blow up the image and uh, crop the top and bottom. Uh, I know that Evil Dead, the uh, there's numerous versions of the original Evil Dead that – are like that, that you can choose to watch it in 16 by 9 which fills up your your actual wide screen versus the cropped uh, 4x3 version, which is the way originally Sam Raimi envisioned that movie. Well, this was made for TV, and that's the way this movie was shot, and that's the way this movie is on DVD and Blu-ray now. This is a Warner Brothers release. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I don't want to complain too much because this movie has a Blu-ray release, and I'm I'm tickled pink by that. That's great. Uh, I, it just, it's unfortunate that, uh, that's a company like arrow or scream factory didn't get their hands on this to where they could have given it the full collector's edition, uh, slip cover, all sorts of interviews and special features and retrospectives and all that good stuff. I, I really wish that there would have been something like that because this is such an epic movie, especially for a TV movie. Uh, but as it is, we have the movie remastered on Blu-ray. It looks really, really, really good, and the sound is really good, uh, although it's it's not like a full-on, newly remastered 6.1 DTS HD. It's just the core audio, and in my sound system at least, it's basically it's just stereo through the entire sound system, but it sounds great. Sounds really good. But you will notice immediately when you watch it, the picture quality has greatly improved. And for what I paid for this movie new, which was not even 10 bucks, I'm happy. Although I would have easily paid an extra $10 to have a special edition of this movie. As it is, I'm fine with this. So, uh, Salem's Lot. The storyline for this movie, uh, along with the book, and that's another thing that I love about this movie, is that this follows the book so well, and I think that part of the reason why it does is that Toby Hooper had uh, a miniseries format to work with on television, and this was back in the 70s, so it's shot on film. It's not on video, obviously, and even though it is uh, formatted for a television, it feels like an actual movie because it's shot on, on from what it looks like, 35-millimeter film, and uh, that automatically makes it more cinematic. And the fact that it's three hours and four minutes long is another thing that that I'm sure back in the day when it was on television, it was broken up into probably two nights. I would imagine with commercials, that's two hours each. Makes sense. Um, but for this, it's three hours and four minutes long, and it 
feels epic in every sense of the word, and I love that, especially for a TV movie. Uh, right from the get-go, uh, the setup is so, so good. Um, and this is on a budget of $4 million, and I get it. Back back in 79, $4 million is a lot of money. It's still a lot of money, but uh, there's a lot of lower-budget movies nowadays that cost $4 million. So this being $4 million and 79 for a TV movie, that's pretty big. Okay, so uh, real quick, I'm going to go through the basic storyline of the movie. Uh, the successful writer Benjamin Ben Mears returns to his hometown, Salem's Lot, Maine, expecting to write a new novel about the Marsden House. Ben believes that the manor is an evil house that attracts evil men since the place has many tragic stories and Ben saw a ghostly creature inside the house when he was 10. Ben finds that the Marsden house has just been rented to an antique dealer's uh, Richard K. Starker uh, and his partner Kurt Barlow uh, that is permanently traveling. Ben meets the divorced teacher Susan Norton that is living with her parents and they have a love affair. Ben also gets close to her father Dr. Bill Norton and his former school teacher Jason Burke. When people start to die uh, anemic, Ben believes that Starker's partner is a vampire. But how to convince his friends that he is not crazy and that is the truth. And that was actually written by a gentleman. I, I'm getting that off of IMDb. That's written from, uh, I just did a plot summary from a gentleman in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And actually, that is, that is a great uh, description of this movie. That's exactly what this movie is about. Um, what I like about uh, what I just read there was people start to die anemic. That's a big uh, part of this movie is that it's not just a vampire movie. And it is a vampire movie, but... Honestly, there's a little part of this that feels, I don't want to say 28 Days Later, but more of a virus-type movie. And I get it, you know, vampires, virus, you know, they you get bitten and then you turn. But something about this feels just a bit more like it's a virus um, and that there's these symptoms that these people are showing and it's, uh, you know, once – once they die, then all of a sudden they come back. And this is no spoiler. This is how a vampire movie is. Um, but I, here's where this movie just rules on all fronts is the vampires themselves. Now, the head vampire is um, – at this point – I mean this movie was made so long ago. I'm, I'm going to spoil some of this. The head vampire is one of the coolest looking vampires, if not the coolest, that I have ever seen in a horror movie ever. Um, you know, and I am actually going to go on record and say this is my favorite vampire uh, of any movie I've ever seen. It is so creepy. And uh, if you want – if you haven't seen this movie and you want to know what he looks like, he's kind of a cross between the original Nosferatu from the, the 1920s uh, as well as the more recent uh, What We Do in the Shadows. So take those two, merge them together, and boom, you have – this uh, creature of the night, and it is so creepy looking. Not only that, but all of the vampires in this movie, and this is a very deliberately paced movie at three hours, and it, and it, it should be. It, the characters are slowly introduced, and you slowly get to know the characters, and you start to like the characters, or some of the characters you don't like, but you're not supposed to like them. And then... You're fully invested in this movie and all of these people's lives, and then they start to one by one turn into vampires uh, or uh, die and become anemic and all that stuff. 
And then when they come back, they are so creepy and evil looking. Uh, the eyes and the teeth and the makeup, uh, obviously all practical effects. But let me tell you something. Uh, I have seen my fair share of cool CGI horror movies. Something about a kid waking up in bed and looking out his window and there's this whole bunch of smoke and then there's just this hovering child vampire outside his window just kind of hovering there and then he pulls back out uh, back into the fog is so scary and so creepy and so well done uh it's hard for me to put into words until you actually see the movie how perfect this works uh and i would imagine that that effect is probably relatively easy to pull off but it's done so good um and this movie is – it's a TV movie, so there's relatively very little bloodshed. Although, for what it's worth, this one here nowadays would be pushing for an R rating just because of how uncomfortable the movie is. And there is some bloodshed, uh, which I don't want to spoil that for you because I really think that this is one that you should get out there and buy on Blu-ray. It's worth every penny. So there is definitely some killing and the vampires are not Twilight – looking silliness. This is full-on vampire horror. Um, and a town that you totally believe exists. Um, that's another thing I like about the movie is it, the scope of it for what it is is very epic for a small-town vampire movie. Is You truly feel like you, you get kind of the sense of the layout of this entire town. There, there It's so many different places in this town that you finally had by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, wow, okay, I know where I know where this location is and this location and the hospital and this person's house and the cemetery. And it's like you – they've painted this huge town – not huge, but this – a huge picture of a small town. And these people who now, again, you are invested in, even if they're not nice people, you want to know what happens to them. Like what's – where is this guy that is continually um, out – shopping for antiques in other countries or whatever. Uh, where is he? When is he going to show up? And when he does, oh, does he show up? Um, as far as faithful adap uh, adaptations for books, this might be the best example of a Stephen King book that I can think of. Now, this is a pretty big, sprawling, epic novel in and of itself. It's a long book. And it's a long movie. Uh, some other Stephen King uh, novels or uh, short stories might be a little bit more uh, accurate to their source material. Something like uh, Shawshank Redemption is a pretty good example. Um, the Green Mile. Uh, there's certain ones that because the books are shorter and the movies are pretty big and long, they're able to uh, really nail the book down pat pretty good pet cemetery is right up there too as far as being very faithful to the source material but salem's lot is great there is some things that that uh, toby hooper changed around and i understand you can't you can't do the book justice exactly the uh the book is a bit more graphic that's eh, okay this is a tv movie um but uh after watching this movie and I'm going to reread this book eventually because it's my third favorite book. Uh, I can't picture the vampires any other way reading the book. I won't be able to picture the vampires any other way other than what is in this movie because this is what they look like. This is what these vampires look like. 
Um, now, this is an interesting uh, side note about this, and I am going to pull this up, so bear with me as I'm yapping about this movie. Um, those of you that are fans of uh, Stephen King and uh, his many, many books will uh, – find this here. Stephen King, you're like, come on, give me a break, Eugene. Have this pulled up already. There it is. Um, this is actually uh, a sequel to um, another short story that Stephen King did for his Night Shift collection, uh, which was back in uh, – uh, it was first published in 1978, I believe, or at least that's when, uh, that's when he – when the book came out. Uh, Jerusalem's Lot is a short story by Stephen King, first published in uh, King's 78 collection, Night Shift. The story was also printed in the illustrated edition of Salem's Lot. Jerusalem's Lot is, uh, is a short story set in the fictional town of Preacher's Corners, uh, Cumberland County, Maine in 1850. It is told through a series of letters and diary entries, mainly those of its main character, aristocrat Charles Boone, although his manservant Calvin McCann also occasionally assumes the role of narrator. So, what's the book actually about? Um, so, I actually read this twice. I read this before I read Salem's Lot and watched the movie Salem's Lot. I read it and I'm like, okay, that was kind of cool. And then I read the actual King novel and I watched Q, uh, uh, Toby Hooper's movie and I'm like, okay, now I need to go and revisit Jerusalem's Lot. Wow, what a difference it makes. This is a cool short story and it is so creepy. It very much feels to me upon a revisit, uh, reread, I guess you could say, is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft immediately comes to mind reading this short story. It oozes uh, that type of folklore, um, and it works so, so good. Um, basically, there is a house, and uh, there's some bad things going on in the house. This James Boone, he was a leader of an inbred witchcraft cult, and um, there's talk about the worm in this book and these creatures and it is so crazy and it's so cool. Um, and it basically what it does is it sets itself up. This sets up the evil of the house that is in Salem's lot is this Jerusalem's lot. Um, I love that. I love the fact that this sets up all the sinister backstory of what went on in this town and especially the, uh, the Marston house. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. It makes everything more evil, sinister and creepy in Salem's lot. So if uh, you are really interested in revisiting all of this stuff, I do suggest starting with Jerusalem, Jerusalem's lot from uh, the night shift collection, read that, then read the King novel and then watch uh, Toby Hooper's Salem's lot. Now there was a uh, 2004 version of, uh, the story starring Rob Lowe, and I did watch that. And um, while I'm not going to give it a big thumbs down, I it's another three hour long movie. I it just did not work at all. Yeah, it was a mini series, and there's some good actors in it. Donald Sutherland's in it. Um, Rutger Hauer is in it as Kurt Barlow. Um, it just it 
it doesn't work. They tried to modernize it. Um, and maybe it's because it came out in 2004. I mean, right now it seems like everything is hot with uh, TV, made for TV miniseries and movies and stuff. I would love to see what Netflix could do with, uh, with something like this, like making it maybe a one season arc, like a whole big sprawling eight or nine hour long epic miniseries. Uh, this was on the crust, like 2004, it was made for TNT, but it just, it's dated already. Whereas the seventies version is timeless. The seventies version is, it works so well and it, yeah, it feels like a seventies movie, but it makes it all the better that it is a seventies movie. Whereas this one, it just like, Oh, this feels kind of like a knockoff of what came before it. And they changed things. They changed things that they didn't need to change to make it different. We're not the same. This is a different movie, but it, it's like, why would you change that? There's no reason to change so much stuff from something that works so well in the book and the movie, the original movie. So that was a one and done. It's still watchable uh, for one time, but it didn't work. It just not, at least not to me. Uh, but I think that it would be great if someone would get their hands on Salem's Lot again and redo it. And honestly, I would love to see, like this would be the ultimate for me, is have a uh, – Maybe have because of what's going on and, and the, the length of the book. I think that one season could cover everything. But what would be cool is that uh, maybe the first episode would be uh, Jerusalem's Lot. Like they would do maybe a, the first one would be an hour and a half long Jerusalem's Lot, setting things up for what is to come. And then I would say if you know if you want maybe set Salem's Lot uh, back. Like that it happened maybe back a while ago and you're probably wondering why – if the 70s version is so good, why remake it? Eh, because I I want more of it. I would love to see more of Salem's Lot um, or if not, make a new version but make it really, really good. Um, not kind of – kind of meh like the 2004 version is and try to really make it true to the source material. But I would love to see a Jerusalem's Lot, Salem's Lot big miniseries. I think that would be awesome. So anyway. Um, enough about that. That's just me blabbing wishful thinking. Uh, anyway, I'm trying to wrap things up here with, with Salem's Lot. I've been gushing about it. And I know that, like I said, I talked about this a long time ago, but it, it really is worth revisiting and uh, rereading, rewatching, and uh, just enjoying the movie. It's, oh, it's so creepy and so well done. Um, and the bookends on the movie, too, are... Uh, are really really cool. They there is a, a nice setup to the movie, and then how it winds down is also uh, very cool. I will say this though, and I've only seen the three-hour version of this movie. Uh, for the European release, uh, there was a two-hour movie version that was called from the three-hour TV miniseries, and that movie omits the opening and ending scenes in uh, Guatemala, and it also trims various other scenes throughout the story, and. Um, some of the scenes in the movie were actually different from the TV miniseries, uh, so they actually changed some things around and add some different stuff or take some different stuff away. Uh, I will probably never, ever watch that version because as it is, three hours tells the movie perfectly. In fact, I could even have gone for four hours long, hence the reason for me wanting a miniseries of this. But two hours, nope. I can't imagine cutting anything out other than uh, character beats that add to you being so invested in the movie 
taking that out would would truncate it to the point where it's like, well, I don't really care about these people or what's going on. Like I don't get a sense of where I'm at in this town because there are so many different areas of the town that uh, that they go to. And when they're trying to figure out this mystery of why these people are being, you know, becoming anemic and dying and, and this epidemic and all that good stuff. So anyway, uh, that's just some, some a side note thing uh, that I thought was interesting that there was a more quote-unquote movie-length version of this instead of the, the longer version. So anyway, um, last thought on the movie, I guess, is that I liked it, the fact that this is a vampire movie that isn't just a vampire movie. It is about um, a house that is inherently evil. And uh, because of that, it draws evil to it, like these creatures. So it's not like, hey, vampires come to town and start killing people. It's there's an evil presence in this town that began way back in Jerusalem's lot. And because of that, it spawned this evil that keeps permeating. And I think that that's such a cool way that King, uh, that King played with the whole vampire genre is that he made it a little bit different. And I think that it works so well. Uh, so anyway, check it out, please. It's fantastic. You can get it for cheap. It's worth every penny. My advice is throw away the DVD. Don't watch the DVD. Try if you can to watch the Blu-ray because it is so worth it. Uh, and that's going to do it for my show today. Uh, one full episode on one movie and it was worth it because the movie's great. Um, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions, comments, movies that you think I should watch or movies that you think I should avoid like the plague tonight or no, tomorrow night is going to be a huge mega podcast taping of movie freaks where we review all sorts of great stuff. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be fun. Uh, and of course, you can find myself and my friend Eric over on Facebook and all over the interweb on uh, Movie Freaks, uh, Movie Freaks Pod, all that great stuff. Check out our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks as well. They cover a lot of new stuff, so make sure that you give them a thumbs up and all that good stuff. And uh, yes, that's going to do it for my show today. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, bye. 